Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, how is the Drogheda feud spreading into North Dublin? Now, just before we start, we want to let you know about an exciting event we'll be hosting shortly. On the evening of Wednesday, the 5th of February, just days before we go to the polls, we'll be recording The Explainer in front of a live audience in Crow Street in Temple Bar, Dublin. We'll be bringing you more details of the guests later, but if you'd like to be part of our first ever live audience, please email your details, your name and where in the country you are from to our producer Aoife at Aoife at thejournal.ie. Now, today's topic, although not directly related to the general election, has become a major issue. Last week, details of the horrific murder and dismemberment of a teenage boy began to emerge, and politicians, as they launched their election campaigns, were being asked how this country had been thrown into the grips of another gang war. Last year on The Explainer, we delved into the complicated feud that was consuming swathes of Louth, and it now looks like it has become linked to increasing violence in the Kulak area of Dublin. How has this happened and what is being done? I'm joined in studio by two of our journalists who have spent time reporting in depth on the issues plaguing both areas of the country. Gareth McNamee and Conal Thomas, you're both very welcome. Gareth, as I said, we had an Explainer podcast on the Drogheda feud in the past 12 months. When you were here with us last year, we delved into that a lot and we don't want to rehash everything. But can you give us a quick rundown of what exactly has been happening in Drogheda in the past few years? So I suppose we can go back to maybe three or four years ago. You had one major main gang who would be involved in all sorts of criminal activity around the Loud and Mead areas, be that drug dealing, um, they were kind of behind all the assaults, intimidation, uh, anything kind of um, organised crime related that was happening in these two counties was as a result of this gang. Now, this gang fell out about 18 months ago and what you have now is this is the start of how this feud began was in the summer of 2018, a man called Owen Maguire was shot um, at his home. Uh, he's now paralysed for life um, and... When you say the gang fell out, do you mean that there was the gang split in two? They, yeah, they split in two, basically. Um, you have one side, which are associates of Owen Maguire, who was shot. And then you have another side, which is run by kind of two brothers and a uh, a man who was in his uh, early 20s. So since Maguire was shot in, I believe it was um, July uh, 2018, these two gangs have been kind of exchanging tip-for-tat attacks upon each other, the likes of, you know, f- uh, firebombing homes, assaults, intimidation. And it was only until uh, last year, late last year, when uh, Keith Brannigan was shot dead um, that we had our first fatality. I know when we were at, uh, we were here speaking during the last uh, podcast about Drogheda, there had yet to be a fatality, I believe. But now we have three. We have uh, Keith Brannigan, we have Richie Carberry, and now obviously the, the murder of uh, Keen Mulready Woods. Before we get to um, Richie Carberry and Keen Mulready Woods, was this feud what we often hear about gangland feuds that it's a turf war about who can sell drugs in what locations, or was it more personal because of this fallout? I think the very start of it was uh, personal. There was just people rowing with each other about. Now it may well have been about money. Guardy don't know the exact reasons why the split the split happened, but it does appear that there was no kind of business element to it. It was more of somebody said something out of place, which turned into something else, which snowballed and snowballed until the point where 
they got to uh, a point where uh, a gun was pointed at Owen Maguire and, and the feud began. So Owen Maguire was paralysed, you mentioned. Keith mm. Brannigan was the first fatality. Richie Carberry, what happened with him? So Richie Carberry was shot dead at the end of 2019. Uh, he is on the side which is not associated with the Associates of Maguire, kind of the other side of, of the gangs. What's interesting about his murder is that he is closely linked to a kind of notorious North Dublin gangland figure who Gardy believe is responsible for multiple deaths, not just belonging to this feud, but in many other feuds in North Dublin over the last five years. As shocking as all as, of all of this is, Gard, that I think the thing that has got us all sitting around this room again happened since we had the last Rahada podcast, and it's the most shocking thing we've seen. Yeah, I suppose the, the murder of um, 17-year-old Keane Mulready Woods has kind of been a, a watershed moment for gangland in Ireland. Never mind Drogheda, never mind Louth, North Dublin. This is this is um, probably the most heinous crime due to the victim's age uh, that we've seen in gangland Dublin before, or gangland Ireland before. Now, I think what was interesting was I, I was up in Drogheda um, the day, the afternoon after Keane's body parts were discovered in Kulak and I was working on the shooting of um, an innocent taxi man John Miles uh, who was shot in the back as he was um, driving what Gardy, who Gardy believed were, they, were the intended targets of, of this shooting and I remember meeting a, a contact for a coffee and we were sitting down and we were discussing it was only the early afternoon and, and I remember him saying to me you know you know, the guards are looking at this like it could be linked you know and at the time I was thinking because the Drada feud and because North Dublin feuds they were their own Entities. They were their own kind of microcosms of crime, if you will. But I, I didn't disregard it, but I was, I think I remember maybe even said to you, Sinead, I was thinking, saying this could be linked here. And then within an hour or two, my phone started hopping. I started getting texts, WhatsApps, whatever you're having yourself. And it was all saying this young lad's name. And I was thinking, surely not. Surely this, this isn't the body of a 17-year-old whose, whose limbs have been left in an area synonymous with crime and a, a North Dublin criminal kingpin who, for, for, for legal reasons, uh, we can't name. So let's, let's go back to the timeline. You mentioned the, the taxi driver being shot. So, mm. so last week, um, that's Monday evening. Take us from there. Monday evening, the taxi driver gets shot. Yes, yeah, so Monday evening, um, John Miles, who has given a number of radio and um, media interviews, so he, wa- he picked up a man and a woman and was dropping them in towards Drogheda Town. Um, when they stopped on the unfortunately named uh, Bridge of Peace in the town where a lone gunman approached and fired, I believe it was two shots, one of them hitting the um, the taxi driver, Mr. Miles, in the back and the other missing. Both the person in the front seat of, the front passenger seat, who Gardy believed was the intended target, and his partner uh, escaped. Uh, Mr. Miles, thankfully, only suffered minor injuries and was able to even go on LMFM, the local radio station, the next day to, to talk about his ordeal. Um, now, while all this is going on um, in Drogheda, uh, a number of hours later, uh, a hold-all bag is dropped in the Mopeview area of Coolock in North Dublin. Uh, Mopeview um, has sadly been a place where a lot of serious criminal activities happened. Um, indeed, a man called Ken Finn, who was the chief suspect in the murder of uh, IRA chief Alan Ryan in 2012 uh, was himself shot dead in that area. Um, now the body parts were discovered by, I believe, um, two a couple of teenagers who thought that it was it was just a bag, and all of a sudden they saw limbs, and uh, and uh, the guardie were informed. 
and um, obviously a massive investigation was launched then and there. At that stage, you had said you had heard from your contact um, that, and you had heard from people that it might be the limbs and there might be the remains of Keenwell Reedy Woods. Mm. Did Gardy obviously knew that he was missing at that point? Yes, yeah, a week previously they'd actually warned him uh, officially using uh, a form called a GIM form which is a Garda information message. So Gardy are almost, uh, I, think, I believe, legally obliged to, to inform um, someone if their life, if there's a real and serious risk to someone's life. A month prior to that he had received a conviction court for intimidation uh, and this is Kim O'Reilly Woods uh, had received a conviction um, in the children's court in relation to intimidation and um, uh, serious violence at a premises in, in Drogheda. Um, so Keane was was known to Gardy to use that phrase again. Uh, he was involved in the Drogheda feud. He was involved as a, a, as a young runner as they call them in the feud and um, what side it's hard to talk about side mm. in this but if to be that kind of cold about it what side was he on there is still uh, confusion over this because it had appeared that at one point he was not purposely but he was involved with people who would be attached to both sides of the gang but Gardy believed he was attached um, to uh, associates of the Maguire um, associates of Owen Maguire and the taxi man, the targets who were in the taxi man's mm. car, were they involved in the Drogheda feud or could that have been something separate? No, um, Gardy believed that there's a definite link between these two crimes and that they are both related to the Drogheda feud. The intended target, we can't go into too much detail that might um, give his identity away, but he is one of the major players in the Drogheda feud who would be connected to the other gang that is associated with the Maguires. He is a, a man who is in his early 20s, but Gardy believe have been involved in either ordering or himself carrying out acts of kind of barbarism and mutilation against um, two young men in the Louth, Meath and North Dublin areas. It, it's incredibly complicated even when you just stick to the small area um, of Drogheda that this is happening in. But as you mentioned, the, the remains of, of the young teenager last week were dropped in Dublin. What was the thinking of the connection? How connected are the two areas and the crimes that we're seeing in the two areas? I suppose once Gardy heard that it was Moatview, and this isn't to tarnish the reputation of proper, decent people living in the Moatview area, is that, okay, as, as we had a piece on the journal saying, you know, it was no coincidence that the uh, this teenager's body parts were, were dumped here. They're at, the, at the start, there was there was um, a theory that maybe the people in the car had gotten spooked and they just they just thrown it out and driven off, thrown the bag out and driven off. Um, but Gardy, uh, investigating his murder, uh, believed that there is no coincidence that the, the body parts were dumped in Moatview. And this, once again, to complicate matters even slightly further, is in relation to a uh, North Dublin kind of drug kingpin who operates out of Coolock and whose main area, if you like, would be Moatview, where most of his associates would be, including the murdered uh, Kenneth Finn, who we mentioned earlier. His area was Moatview. So it was almost as if a message was being sent, you know, to, to a North Dublin gangland figure who was trying to maybe become more involved in the Drogheda aspect of it, that, that this is what's going to happen if, if you want to um, step foot in Drogheda. Conal, this isn't the first 
extreme violence that Kulak has seen in the last while. What of the gangland crime that we are seeing in North Dublin is related to the Keen Mulready murder and everything we've just spoken about in Drogheda? Well, yeah, I suppose, I mean, the last two years, North Dublin, particularly Kulak, Darndale, Belcamp, those areas have seen an increase in crime and criminal activity. And so far, it's five men, four of whom in their 20s have been killed. So this has been going on for about two years in North Dublin. Um, and I suppose while all of this is going on in Drogheda and Gardaí are working to put everything together, you know, it's important to bring us back, say, to, to June, where Justice Minister Charlie Flanagan visited Kulak Garda Station after a man named Hamid Sanambar, who was an associate of the Hutchkinahan feud, was killed. Uh, he was believed to be involved, possibly responsible for the killing of Sean Little and Jordan Davis. These were two 22-year-old lads who were found within 24 hours of each other dead in North Dublin, one in Coolock, one in Balbriggan. And are they all connected? So all of those murders, were they all connected to each other or are some things happening independently in smaller As far as, I, like, you might be able to answer this better, Gar, but I, as far as I know, they were all connected within their own area within the North Dublin crime scene, but not specifically to Drogheda. And this is, I think, where, to not to sound too crude about it, but where it becomes quite interesting with the Keane Mulready case, where you have almost, as Gar says, this message being sent. And I think that has also led on to this massive political response in recent weeks. One one feud comes into another area, which has already seen a, a, an increase in criminal activity over the last two years. And suddenly it's almost like everyone kind of connects the two in their heads a bit. Yeah, and I think Ireland and we're very used to having spoken about the Hutch and the Kinahan gangland warfare. This, again, to keep asking you what's connected and what's not, connected or not? With Drogheda viewed and the Hutch Kinahan viewed. And the Kulak violence. I suppose gangland Ireland is always connected in some way to the Kinahan cartel because they may have reducing power. They may all have fled to um, the Middle East or to the UK or to Spain, but they're still pulling the pulling the strings of the importation of the drugs, which are who, the the gangs in Drogheda and Kulak are selling. Um, there's very few independent drug suppliers who haven't got a link to the Kinahan cartel. But in relation to the Kinahan feud and the Kulak feud. You might have some overlap, as Conal said there, with Hamid Sanambar um, would have carried out jobs on behalf of the cartel, um, be they bagman jobs, picking up the money, dropping off to to different people who are um, basically kind of a, an errand boy almost for for the cartel. But with Kulak, as you mentioned, the, the five guys who were killed, including Hamid Sanambar, that was once again to use that phrase, a microcosm in itself of, of a feud which had its own boundaries, which it was the Kulak feud. You had Zach Parker as well, who was shot outside a gym and swords, uh, but he was linked to the Kulak feud. So that was in itself just the Kulak feud. There was no Kulak feud, Drogheda feud. But as, as Colin was saying, you know, it's starting to, to seep into each other. And one of the characteristics is the men are extremely young and that fed into the political reaction, I think, last week. Yeah, and I think it's partly why Keane Mulready Wood's death has been described as a watershed moment as well, and, and particularly the nature of his death. Um, and the fact that his you know, body parts were found in two separate areas of Dublin, quite clearly a message as well from the gangs, but also something that we kind of hadn't seen before. There's also, as I mentioned, Sean Little and Jordan Davis, they're both 22. I mean, these kids essentially are getting involved so young. But I suppose what 
we're seeing is, and we saw this, you know, we can talk a little bit about the, the Mulvey report back in 2016, 2017. And one of the kind of core objectives was almost early intervention. How do you stop these kids getting involved in this, right? So how... What, Explain what, to us what the Mulvey report is. So the Mulvey report was... Um, kind of championed, I suppose, by then Taoiseach and Enda Kenny back in 2016 at the height of the Hutch Kinnahan feud. I suppose all the key players, politicians, Gardaí came together and realised that something had to be done. I think roughly at the same time we'd about six killings in short succession, about right. Um, And it had kind of peaked. So there was this moment where central government stood up and said, look, we need to do something here. And they appointed Ciarán Mulvey to drop, well, to to head what's known as the the task force, the North Inner City Task Force, and to drop a report which wasn't just looking at how do we tackle crime in the area and how do we stop this, uh, say, the gangland issues, because that's more to the Guardian. That can kind of be done on a shorter term basis. But it's also taking kind of almost a more holistic view of the entire area and looking at the socioeconomic factors behind what leads to criminal violence. Yeah, because we see if you get to a point that a 17 year old is so far in that he has intimidation uh, charges against him, um, that he has been known to Guardi for so many years. How are they getting them so young? How are they getting involved so young? This was explained to me a few years ago by a very, very good contact of mine. And it's almost like he said, there's a conveyor belt of criminal. And it starts when children are as young as nine or ten years old. They pick the most vulnerable. They pick families, uh, children of families who might be drug dependent, drug addicts, who might be single parent families and the parents working nights. Someone who needs that arm around the shoulder and sadly the arm around the shoulder comes in the form of a local drug dealer. We've seen that similarly in Rialto in recent months with the report where there were children as young as eight or nine drug runners essentially, mm. right? And like it's it's almost like it's its own career path because when you start out with eight or nine or ten, you know, you're you're a spotter. Um which effectively means you're standing on a green area in, in an estate and a car you don't recognise comes comes in. It's your job to tell your boss, your next line manager, if you will, who's a 16-year-old drug dealer. I've seen a um, an 06 uh, Fiat Panda come in. Have we seen that car? Do we know who that is? That kind of thing. You graduate, as I said, from 12, maybe 13 onwards, um, as someone who might be holding the drugs under your bed, um, uh, you know, for, you know, hold this bag. Um, it contains 15, 20 grand worth of drugs because you're not on the guard radar. You're not, you're, you're going to be someone that they're not going to be looking, your house door's not going to be knocked down. Up to 16, then you're dealing. Um, and then um, you're getting a lot of money that a 16-year-old isn't used to getting hundreds and hundreds of euro, you know, uh, thousands even. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, guns placed in your hand when you're 17 or 18 and you're told to either intimidate someone or even pull the trigger on someone and this is a career path for want of a better phrase which is which is used all over Ireland especially in, in, in gangland Dublin um, pockets of West Dublin especially maybe two or three years ago it was it was almost like a badge. You were a sort. You were. You wore a certain hat, or you wore a certain top when you graduated to dealer. Or you graduated to gunman. It's. It's much it's, was made of Keen Mulready's Woods clothes um, mm. when he was found, or when he went missing. The clothes that he was wearing was that part of that status that, that yeah, he was showing. It's almost like a uniform now at this stage, and 
it's like Canada Goose jackets are one very big status symbol. Whereas you might have guys who are millionaires with the Rolex watches and all that. The Canada Goose jacket is the drug dealing street dealer equivalent of your of your Rolex, you know, your Gucci hat, your your Under Armour flip flops. You know, they want to be like their bosses because one day they might even pull the trigger on their boss, which happens all the time. But That's did we learn anything from the Mulvey report? Well, I think what we learned was that there was an immediate. Well, sorry, I should say there was uh, a secession end to the immediate violence, the, the rampant violence that was going on with the Hutchkinen feud. I think the success of the Mulvey report and the task force remains to be seen. We won't really know how successful it was for another probably 10, 15 years, because if in 10, 15 years there's going to be another outbreak of violence, well then, what was the success of it? I mean, the argument goes that Mulvey and the North Inner City Task Force, which was headed by a man named Michael Stone, took this very kind of in-depth approach by going around to every part of the community in North inner inner city Dublin and talking to them about what services they had, what voluntary groups they had, what community supports they have and how central government and local authorities could improve on that to kind of ensure that, for instance, young lads don't get involved in this kind of thing, that there are supports there. What I found talking to people in Coolock and Darndale and and Belcamp over the last few weeks, which is quite worrying, and again, it's similar to looking back to 2016, 2017, when I was covering little of this as as well, when the, the Hutch Kinnan feud was going on, that right now over at that part of North Dublin because it's almost like it's moved on now you know we we, we moved the gang violence moves on to another area community uh, leaders activists who were very vocal following the Mulvey report um, are, are afraid to talk now yeah and um, I think because we're in the middle of an election campaign you get more frantic conversations around things so like yeah. last week you saw calls from for internment even you know you're, yeah. like, you're getting that extreme what are the sensible approaches that are being taken or are there any sensible approaches well, being taken? Well, I, I think it's interesting that the timing of this, obviously, you know, not only the, the Drogheda gang and, and Kulak and North Dublin getting connected, but then um, the fact that if this all fell in the middle of the middle of a general election and it's led to, I think, political promises that can't possibly be kept. I mean, for instance, we had uh, Senator Jed Nash up in Drogheda and Senator Aon O'Reardon, Labour Senator in North Dublin, calling for task forces for both areas, like the Mulvey report, right? We then had Charlie Flanagan saying, well, you know, if we have a task force for every area affected by crime in Ireland, we're going to water down the effects of it. And then we had a U-turn from the Taoiseach saying, well, actually, in the Finnegan Manifesto, there's going to be six or seven task forces. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'm not sure where the funding is going to be. I think what what's interesting is one of the, I suppose, criticisms perhaps of the the, the Mulvey report and of the, the Mulvey task force was that, or the concerns early on was that it would be too kind of top-down led. It would be coming from central government Whereas people have argued, I think this is one of the strengths and uh, one of the successes of the task force is that it was very much on the ground based. So what Dublin City Council have done now, which is quite interesting, in um, in Darndale and kind of surrounding areas, they've kind of brought on board the former assistant Garda commissioner, Jack Nolan, and his job is basically going to be kind of to draw out a profile of all of the area's services, what access it has, kind of deprivation levels, um, and, and talk to everyone in the area and kind of put together these objectives along with community leaders and council staff working in the area. So it's almost you've got this like mini task force, you've got this task force on a smaller level and a much more local level um, in Darndale and Belcamp. And I think part of the reason why we're seeing that now is because there hasn't been any government-led or central government initiative, despite the calls from, say, Aon O'Reardon or local councillor John Lyons for the last year or two to have a task force in Coolock. And it's only now that we're in the middle of an election, suddenly 
that they can promise it. But it's interesting to see a local authority who arguably are actually a lot more on the ground and, and, and actually would be in connection or contact, say, with Gardaí, you know, a lot more, say, than a TD. Gareth, where are the Gardaí at with this and the investigations surrounding all the various crimes that we've talked about in the last 20 minutes? I suppose with the Keenmore-Reedy investi- Woods investigation, um, there are three main suspects for it who um, Gardaí have received significant intelligence from various sources in relation to the exact people. They know the house that was sealed off in the Rathmullen area of Drogheda. Gardaí believe that to be a point of serious interest for them. They believe that um, Keane Mulready Woods was assaulted in that house. They're awaiting DNA um, um, test forensic results from that house. Um, they are making significant um, kind of strides in their investigation. Uh, however, um, no arrests have been made so far. Uh, there was an arrest of a senior player in relation to um, one of the criminal gangs involved in the Drogheda feud, not the, not the ones associated with Maguire's, but the other ones. Um, but that was in relation to a, be- a breach of bail conditions. Now, what I think we, I find quite interesting is the strategy that the Guardi are taking in Drogheda at the moment, and that is to hassle the major players and their uh, their foot soldiers as much as is uh, legally possible. So we're talking, you know, uh, car tax, everything that they could do to legally keep an eye on them or keep them in a guard station for for six hours that could actually disrupt. They know they're not going to be able to dismantle this group without serious arrests, charges, convictions. So when they can't dismantle, they disrupt. And that's what the, uh, the the Garda strategy is at this moment in time. I think it was similar when they did the Hutchkinnon feud and they essentially... And Limerick as well. And Limerick, Very yeah. similar, yeah. Is there, else, is there anybody else whose life is in immediate danger because of this feud? Do we know if there have been Garda messages given mm. to people of that effect? Uh, over 20, um, which sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud. Um there are so many people they don't know who's who's going to be next and that's not to 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 big this up i don't think you're trying i'm not trying to sensationalize this in any way shape or form but you have so many different <coughs> players based in so many different areas that it's just literally impossible for Gardaí to be everywhere at everyone any one time and when you say those say 20 that number would that be kind of key figures or heavily involved in say the game no that i okay. think that would be that would be so you, i'm looking i've I'm looking at a list here that I've had to draw about two or three times now in the last week, kind of putting a line in the middle of the page with each gang leader's name on each side going who's attached to who because I'm finding it that difficult. And I think talking to my colleagues and other news publications who who cover this stuff, it's just getting messier and messier. Um, But the people who are at most risk are the the gang bosses, some of whom have already fled, uh, which I think is important to say, to the UK. I believe one is in on the European mainland as well. But it's the it's the principle of the low hanging hanging fruit. Look at Kimo Reedy Woods. He wasn't the main player in this, but he was an easy target who was seen to have annoyed the wrong person at the wrong time. Gareth, just to bring this back again to how Kimo Reedy Woods was found, um, just the gruesome part of it. Um, we we still don't know where all of his remains are. Is that correct? 
Yeah, unfortunately, Gardy have found a significant portion of his remains, but there still is a, uh, a decent percentage that has, has not yet been recovered. I won't go into the details of what was what was found in what places, um, just for, um, for obvious reasons, but his um, body parts were found in, in Kulak, and then um, the following day, um, more of his remains were found in a burnt-out car near enough to Drumcondra, both areas, obviously, in, in, in North Dublin. And I presume that's a massive part of the Guardi's merger inquiry now is to to find the rest of that and then work on the the inquiries that they have. Yeah, there the, the was talk. There were was a theory from from Guardi, which they were investigating, was that the the remains were to be spent sent to um, people high up in the opposite opposing side of the feud once again to send a message. This I need to need to say has not yet been ver- was not verified by Guardi, but it is a line of investigation in the the larger wider scale investigation into Kimo Reedy Woods' death. Something else that I should have brought up earlier with you is that there was a lot of um, social media and internet activity after the death mm. um, and after the remains were found. Guardi are also working on whether some of these videos and photos are actually those of Kimo Reedy Woods or mm. actually from the people they're purporting to be from? Yeah, I think this is just a um, kind of a sad indictment of where we're at in relation to social media and with WhatsApp groups and WhatsApp messages. Um, I remember driving home from Drogheda after um, Chief Superintendent Christy Mangan confirmed to, to reporters that the remains found in Kulak were in fact those of uh, of Kimo Reedy Woods and uh, I'd stopped in to get some petrol or something and I checked my phone and I had three or four photographs and gone... This, these are what they're doing now. They were ne- they weren't saying that this is what who they belong to. But look, Gareth, these pictures are doing the rounds, and there was one that caught caught my eye uh, in particular, and it seemed to be which I, I believe has since been debunked. But what appeared to be was um, someone had, had taken a screen grab of a, uh, a dismembered body, put it that way, and and, and written um, uh, kind of captions over it relating to the Drogheda feud. So when this was being sent around, a lot of people kind of took this as gospel, which I think is uh, uh, just shows that people need to research more what they're what they're getting in their WhatsApp groups. That you know this was um, Keen Mulready Woods, when in fact it wasn't. Now Gardy had told. Um, reporters in a statement to you know to, to share the news of the to share the the appeal, not to be uh, sharing these photos and videos around. As firstly they're um, uncorroborated, and secondly, even if they are the remains of this teenager, like the family are going to be the family are going to see this, and the last thing this family needs is to see the real or, pain that was brought to their son. Yeah, or indeed images purporting to be that. Mm. Connell, we said there that you know that the Ireland is in the grips of this gangland warfare again um, and also we're in the middle of an election. How is Ireland as a country dealing with this? What's the atmosphere? Um, what are politicians doing to contain people's fears? I'm not sure there's a whole lot of politicians doing right now. There's a lot of talk and as I said, you know, we're in, because we're in the middle of the election cycle, everything gets hyped up. So any promises that politicians can make, you know, it's hard to know whether they're going to be followed through on. Um, I just would we'll quote Taoiseach Leo Varadkar in Drogheda last Friday. He said, "I really want to see the people. I want. I really want to say to people across the country and also to people here in Drogheda that crime doesn't pay. That we will get these people behind bars and make this town safe again. The question moving forward, I guess, is can Gardaí disrupt the gangs enough to stop what they're doing? Similar to the Hutchkinnon viewed in 2016, 2017, and long term, what are the solutions to stop these young lads getting involved in crime? 
Yeah, and to, I think one of the quotes from the, the newspapers at the weekend was to make sure that there's no further lost generation um, in Drogheda. There's a rally in Drogheda um, and at, at the, in, later on in January. I'm sure that there will be a big turnout. Thanks very much, uh, Gareth and Conal, for explaining um, all of the details of both Drogheda and North Dublin to us. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Conal and Gareth for all their work on this episode. If you enjoyed this chat and learned something, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalogue where you'll find episodes on Harry and Meghan, the so-called black and tans controversy and the plan for a white water rafting facility in Dublin. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bogan, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you are enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them too. Thank you and catch you next time.